Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? It's good. So, Rachel, something that we did a long time ago, it's been a while, it's been a minute, uh, as the kids say nowadays, is listener questions. We haven't done listener questions in a while. We've been collecting them. Uh, we put them into a Google Doc, uh, but it's been a while since we've been able to get to those. And so we thought maybe we would take uh, some time to address some of the questions that we haven't ever been able to get to. So sound like a plan? I'm excited. There's a lot of questions and hopefully we have a lot of answers. <laughs> if not, we can tell people some tools that they can go to uh, or resources that might be able to give those answers. All right, should we dive in, Chris? Yes, let's dive in. Okay, so this question says, my big question and concern right now is that I've done hand over hand and pushed my son to communicate with the iPad when he has not really wanted to. I wish I would have understood that this was not a good idea. I love your quote, inspire, don't require. How do I get him motivated to initiate independently without verbal prompts, which he is very dependent on? I feel like I've made the iPad a negative thing instead of a positive one unintentionally. How do I change it now? Please help. <laughs> so do you have any strategies here, Rachel? I, I, I have one to kick us off, and then I'm going to let you jump in here because I, I know you have some ideas here. So one initial thing that I think can immediately be done in this situation is to place some sort of sticker case uh, visual indicator on the iPad that this is a... That it, that, that it is meant to be a fun tool to use. So there's this negative experience with the previous iPad. Here's the new iPad. Now, the new iPad doesn't have to be a new iPad. You know, affording a new iPad could be a thing. But putting a new case on it or a new um, uh, sticker on it or some sort of uh, yarn around the handle or whatever, some sort of visual indicator that says this is different as you kick off this new strategy of what you're going to do with it once you've now provided it. Absolutely, Chris. That's a really good idea that I didn't actually think about, but it's the same way we want a dedicated device, right? So we want the iPad that's used for communication to look different than the iPad that's used for YouTube. Um, we want to make that distinction. And I like the idea of having it look different because this is, this is a brand new experience now. Um, you know, when I thought about this question, I feel like I'm really happy that this uh, mom reached out to me because I think this happens a lot. And, and you know, it's not too late. Like, it's not like all is lost. Um, we know it's important to, you know, really inspire communication out of kids because that's how we know it will generalize and it will be, you know, independent and autonomous. When I'm working with families, and this is actually, this situation has happened to me before. I'm working with a new family and, you know, I do a consultation and I see the hand over hand and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I realize that, you know, it's sometimes something that families do um, or ABA practitioners or, you know, whoever. But the most important thing is to find something that this child is really excited about. Like that is the absolute first step is like, what is this kid really jazzed about? Um, you know, something so exciting that he's going to be excited to communicate about it. You know, and I think that that's kind of where we go wrong. Sometimes we make it work and it's not fun stuff. It's like, tell me what the boy's doing. He's sitting. Like, that's not fun. And like, of course, like we're going to have to do hand over hand because a child's not intrinsically motivated to say, that the boy is sitting. Um, and so it's really thinking through the lens, change the way you're thinking. What would this child be really excited to talk about? You know, and this mom probably could list, you know, 
five things right off the top of her head that her son gets really excited about. That's what we attach language to. That's what we say, okay, like that's where we're starting here. Um, and that's where it's really nice working with a speech language pathologist is because that's what we're well versed at. We can, you know, have a list of five, you know, motivating activities or, uh, you know, reinforcers, and we can help kind of reverse engineer what words to target, um, you know, but the first step is just figuring out what is you really excited about. Another strategy that I think might really help here is the idea that the student doesn't have to touch the device at all. So it could be that you just use it. And so you're here, you are sitting around the dinner table, you have it out, and you're using it. Here you are sitting on the couch, you're using it. You're driving someplace, and your partner's driving the, the car, you're using it. And the idea is that, oh, no one's forcing me to do it. I'm just watching mom do it, or I'm watching dad do it. And it's just in our environment, it becomes something that becomes sort of like putting on clothes. Like, oh, it's just something we do. At one point, it might have been a sensory thing where I didn't like wearing socks, but eventually... I wear my socks. And it's the same idea. At first, I have this negative reaction to it, and, and, and it's aversive. But because it's in the environment all the time, and I'm not being pressured to do it, and, and other people are using it, it becomes part of, of just who we are. Then, when you provide those prompts, uh, and you just offer them in that least restrictive way, so maybe it's just being like, pausing and leaving it in a, in a place where he might use it. Uh, and he might not, but he, he might. So that would be the first level of prompt. And the next prompt is kind of just nodding your head or kind of looking at it and seeing if he uses it. Um, but the first, even a week, two weeks, no expectation that he uses it at all. No, exactly. And that's the thing that I think a lot of educators, a lot of parents have a hard time wrapping their head around. We want to see things happen, right? We're like, we want you to use this device, use this device to communicate. Um, knowing that, you know, if we really take a step back and we take the pressure off, right? It's like oftentimes a pressure, a pressure valve, it feels like, like let's release the pressure and everyone's happier, right? Like kids happier because like they're not being forced to communicate. You know, parents are hopefully a little bit happier because there's not as much tension in those interactions. But it's so important to, you know, model without expectation, knowing that kids eventually, if you tempt them enough, if you get things that are really exciting and you, you know, maybe put them out of reach or shake them or, you know, eat them if it's a food, um, you know, you can tempt kids to, you know, then try to initiate with you. And that's where you bring the device out and say, oh, like you could tell me eat. You could tell me eat. And, you know, again, we don't have to make the child say it. Um, we give them the tools and say, it looks like you want to eat right now, but you can tell me with this, you know, cool little shiny box, you know, that is your device. So I think that that's really important too. I do want to talk a little bit about the prompt dependency because that's something that I see a lot, especially with the students with autism that I work with. We have to be super careful not to over prompt kids because all that teaches them is I only talk when someone tells me to. So if that's, you know, what kids are used to, that's all they'll ever do. They'll only talk when they're told to. Um, and so a way to work on that is, you know, pick, and it has to be highly motivating. It has to be like the one thing that kids get the most excited about. And, you know, you set up an expected routine. So 
I have a one, I have a student who loves, you know, going on a swing. Their family has turned their house into like a sensory gym and he loves swinging. It's his favorite thing. So we work on ready, set, go. So he sits in the swing and I set him up with the expectation, ready, set. And then I push go on the device and we, you know, swing. So he knows that routine. He has it down. And then what I do is I set up the routine. He's in the swing. I say, ready, set. And I pause. And I pause for a long time because he knows what to do. And even if he doesn't know what to do, he needs that space to think, why am I not swinging right now? Oh, maybe I need to say something. Oh, look, there's a device over there. I need to find that device. What do I need to say? Ready, set. Oh, I need to say go. Like that process is one that kids need to go through. They need to problem solve to figure out how to manipulate their environment with language. And so, you know, that's something that can be easily done, but it has to be a high level of motivation. It can't be with something that a kid's like, nah, like take it or leave it. Like I don't really need it because they're not motivated intrinsically to actually go through that, you know, thought process of like, how do I get this thing to happen? I really want it to happen. Like, oh, I have to use my device. Oh, I have to find a word. So it's really important that, you know, yes, we're modeling language and we're giving kids, you know, language language rich environments, but we also have to balance that with taking a step back, giving kids space, you know, within expected routines and hoping that, you know, they can find the words on their own so that they start initiating language more independently. I think a trap that people fall into sometimes is to think when you're when they're when they're making that list of things that are motivating for kids, it tends to be a list of nouns, you know, oh, they like this particular food, they like this particular place, they like this particular movie. But what you were saying there, and so in, in that story that you just told, that analogy, some people might think the swing is what's motivating, but it's not really the swing, it's the idea that you're swinging, it's the action, right? And I feel like that is really when you're making a list of what kids are motivated by kids, think more in the verb tense. And then also think something that is almost ubiquitously motivating for kids is to control someone else. Um, and that is to do your action, like make you laugh, make you fall, make you swing, make you run. Um, and very, very rarely do they have control of their own environment. Any kid, right? Usually parents dictating what, or adults dictating what to do. So switching that around can be uh, a way to motivate students that they, you didn't even think of. So to think of it that way is that what actions can I, can I have, invite the kid to, to do um, that I can take part of? Exactly. And especially for students with autism, which this, this student does have autism, they're real motivated by sensory experiences. And so that's like the number one question I ask is what kinds of sensory, you know, experiences does your child like? You know, they might like squeezes, they might like swinging, they might like spinning, they might be like being picked up, you know, lots of different things. Verb, 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 verb. Exactly. It's all really exciting for kids. Um, you know, I find especially some of my students with autism, they just like, it's like the, the toys, it's like take it or leave it. And sometimes even the food, it's like take it or leave it. Like I don't really care, but it's those sensory experiences that they get really excited about. Um, and so oftentimes I'll start there and I'll start with ready, set, go because it's easy for parents. You know, ready, set, go is like a very common thing that we can do with all kids who are learning language um, to see an action happen. And, you know, setting up that expected kind of carrier phrase um, is really great because you set it up, you set it up, you do it, you do it, you do it. And then eventually you, you, you know, you pause and kids, you know, inevitably they want to fill in the blank and they know it because they've heard it so many times, ready, set, go. So they think go. And now it's just about executing that motor plan on their device. 
So I think that's a bunch of ideas people can use that would, or this person can use, but I think maybe in, in general, anyone could use um, when thinking about how to move a student from when they were, they were initially had a bad experience with AAC to, to, to then have a good one, a positive one and have a long-term outcome. Like you said, it's never too late, right? No, it's not too late. And that's the thing is like, you know, just like it was, maybe it was work and it felt like it wasn't a good experience, but like now it can be super fun. And that's what the goal should be. Like every time we get this device out, it needs to be fun and engaging. You shouldn't need hand over hand. Like that should not even be necessary because hopefully you're doing things that are so exciting that kids are like real excited to talk about them. So Rachel, let's shift gears here for a second and let's talk about Facebook. So our Facebook group, facebook.com slash talking with tech. I don't know if you've noticed, but people have been posting resources there. So not you, not me, other people. The community has really been kicking it off there with sharing resources. Uh, Any thoughts about those? Yeah. I mean, I love our Facebook group. I'm really excited because... At first when we started it, I was like, oh man, like, am I going to be able to like read all the posts and like answer all the questions? And it's like, well, I don't need to do that because we have an amazing group of people who are answering questions, you know, that other people post. And there's a mixed, a mixed group of, you know, clinicians and teachers and parents and, you know, other, you know, professionals like OT. And it's just so cool to see the community that's grown all around this podcast. Um, So it's really great. Um, So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, head on over there. Um, If you ever have a great story to share or a resource, please post it in the group because Chris and I love seeing that. Um, And it's just a great community of people who are really passionate about AAC, um, which obviously that's why that's why we do this podcast. You never know when you share what kind of butterfly effect that will have uh, who might see it when they need it right in that moment. So I am a big advocate for sharing. And speaking of sharing, please share about the Facebook group. Get more people to participate so that, uh, that that your friends can be there and that you can have these conversations with even more people and we can have uh, even greater perspective shared. So, Chris, what's the episode about today? Yeah, so the interview today is someone who reached out to me. His name is Dave Moen, and he asked, uh, Chris, can we get together? I have some questions about assistive technology, and I was like, sure. Uh, can we record? And he was like, sure. And so this is, uh, again, kind of a flip uh, where it's not really me interviewing someone so much as we're interviewing each other. Uh, and it's a conversation that we recorded uh, that talks about assistive technology in general. So check out this interview with me and Dave Moen kind of together having a conversation. People all over the world need augmentative and alternative communication. Despite the global need, some areas of the world don't have access to the same resources as others. Low-tech AAC can be a functional, cost-effective way to bring communication to more people universally. Low-tech tools are also used widely by high-tech AAC users to have a backup or alternative means to communicate. These low-tech tools often get torn, crushed, crumpled, soaked, or otherwise destroyed easily. They aren't often made with durability in mind. Enter PixiePal, a durable low-tech solution. Place printed symbols in transparent plastic containers called Pixie Snaps, which fit snugly into a portable carrying case. Each case allows for three double-sided Pixie Snaps, giving people six surfaces to interact with. The carrying case acts like a book, allowing a user to flip between multiple pages of symbols. 
This innovative design makes Pixie Pal the perfect, portable, customizable, and splash-proof low-tech solution. You can check it out for yourself by following at Pixie Pal on Facebook. But that's not all. Pixie Pal has partnered with some amazing organizations, such as the Nika Project, the Kaizora Center, OIC Cambodia, and many more to help bring functional and affordable AAC to anyone in the world. Pixie Pal has been a UNICEF Champions of Children supporter since 2019. The first generation of Pixie Pal is blue, in tribute of UNICEF's work worldwide. A Pixie Pal crowdfunding campaign has already launched. You can follow, comment, and share the initiative by going to pixiepal.com. That's P I C S E E P A L.com. That's pick like picture, see like with your eyes, and pal like a friend. Send them a direct message and register your interest for one of the first Pixie Pals ever made. Each time a Pixie Pal is purchased, another Pixie Pal will be donated to one of these trusted partners. The goal is to donate 1 million Pixie Pals worldwide. To join us in being part of this global movement, go to facebook.com backslash PixiePal and hit the follow button to help bring AAC to everyone in the world who needs it. If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. Hey everyone, this is Chris here, and I want to let you know that the interview you're about to hear sort of happened spontaneously. Instead of an actual interview, David and I began talking, and it was so good that we recorded this so that we could share it with all of you. So there isn't any sort of formal setup at the beginning where I explain who Dave is and explain who I am. It's just you're going to hear like us getting right into it. So without further ado, here's David. I'm an assistive technology specialist. Um, by trade, I'm a speech-language pathologist. Most of my career has been in assistive technology, though. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's me, too. That's Exactly. <laughs> we are exactly. very similar. So I guess about eight years as a speech-language pathologist and about 20 as an assistive technology specialist. I was part of WADI when it existed for a few years. Um, but um, really, I've worked in several different school districts since then and just how to provide assistive technology services effectively. Mm -hmm. to support staff, but yet have staff run with things um, beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, I am the one assistive technology specialist in the district. I have an assistive technology committee that has been advisory to me um, since I've arrived here over the last five years. I see that changing at this point in time, the structure of the committee or what they are purposed to do. Okay. I think with that committee, though, um, they are all full-time therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, and special education teachers. So you're putting a full-time caseload or a class load on top of all that. So mm -hmm. I've been cautious about how much I'm having them go out, but they are expressing a desire <laughs> to be more involved, which is Fantastic. great. Yeah. We like that. We like that. Um, 
Generally, as far as assistive technology procedures in our district, I do have a Google form that if a teacher has a student they feel would benefit from assistive technology, they fill out the form indicating area of need, whether it's communication, fine motor for you know, um, reading, daily living skills, and the like. They give me an IEP goal in that and a little other information about what they've tried. And then we move forward with that. Okay. Um, we meet. They basically have a choice of whether to pursue a consultation or pursue a full-blown evaluation based on our conversation. Um, most of them pursue the consultations. Mm -hmm. um, the number of those has increased significantly over the five years I've been here, so that's a positive. Um, I feel that I'm still viewed as an AAC specialist and to a small point an assistive technology specialist in the district and I think that's just where Sheboygan is at um, and that's not a negative but we hope to grow the reading writing and those type of considerations also mm -hmm. so that's a really quick through <laughs> okay let me ask you how big I'm is your do. school district like how many schools in general oh uh, off the top of my head um, I can tell the number of students were okay. slightly above 10,000 students. Oh, okay. So you're so pretty large. Basically three different high schools. We have three middle schools. We have a wide array of elementary schools and charter schools. Okay. And like you said, the, the number of uh, times people fill out this Google form is increasing over the last five years. It has. It has. Um, I know so far this school year, I am well above 80. Um, uh, consultation requests and that's just the consultation request part of my role is i do all special ed technology okay. so if i have computer problems ipad problems projector things we also deal with that gotcha okay so so let me ask uh some clarifying questions here when sure. you say a consultation versus an evaluation what does that really look like what is the you know, what's the line between it, what's a consultation and what's an evaluation? Okay, a consultation for me and the way we've structured it here is they put in the request, I go out and have a conversation, I learn some about the student, I can go in and look at their IEP, I can go in and observe, I might observe once or twice, mm -hmm. and then I give a couple recommendations. Um, based on those recommendations, I work with the teacher or the therapist, we decide on a tool, and I make sure that they're up to speed on it. I, I do some instruction with the student if necessary. And then I let them move forward with that. Mm -hmm. Along with that, I try to follow up within a month or two or a quarterly to do that. Okay. okay. Um, this is not IEP driven. It's strictly right. a consultation operating parallel to that IEP. Mm -hmm. In evaluation, if we're going to go down that road, we really abide by the set process here. And I would work with that IEP team a lot of times in an IEP meeting setting, working on the student, the environment, the tasks, and the tools. And then we arrive at that decision, and it's a little more structured process toward trials. Okay. So I think the end point <laughs> is somewhat similar, more, more team involvement on the evaluation, but... I don't have a lot of people chase that. One need that I feel is for our augmented communication students, we need that family engagement more. 
-hmm. so that's a process we need for those type of kids um, for the with those needs in the district okay so so the evaluation is IEP driven it's requested in the IEP and that's when you pull the whole team together and do sort of this uh, set meeting where I'm I'm sort of picturing uh, we so if, if if we end up listening if people if this ends up in the podcast we did an episode with um, Kelly Key who talks about who is um, out of Illinois and talks about doing a set process for this you know where essentially a team of t- people are together including the parent they kind of project this whatever their paperwork looks like but it's a set you know, it helps right. you guide you through the, the set. set process. Is that, is that very similar? Is that? Uh, it is. I wouldn't say it's IEP driven. I think the set can operate parallel to that IEP. If we have an IEP meeting coming up, I will informally do the set during the IEP because the present level of performance, the PLEP, you know, can be that student description. And I can get that information through that. And then we have a small discussion on the you know, the environment, the tasks, and the tools, and what we're going to target. And that can be written in the IAP. Okay. So it depends. I'm, I typically do not require that the team have another IAP meeting to do this set because I think that's a cumbersome process again. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I see the value in it, in meeting as a team to do the set. But again, the process with all the demands we have on therapists and teachers it takes That's time. Difficult. Yeah, it takes logistically. Like you know, the outcome is better. I mean, maybe not better. I'm, uh, but the outcome is. Uh, uh, well, oh, let me ask you this. Okay, so when you do the consults, what's your generalization rate? Do you find that you know? Okay, I've spent this time. I've given you. I've given you instruction, uh, and I follow up in a month, like you said. Um, is there usually a good? Yeah, yeah. They've implemented it. And they're implementing with fidelity, and it's working. And Okay, Chris, that depends. (laughs) (laughs) That depends on the team. That depends on the professionals involved and and how much time is dedicated toward focusing on that tool and teaching that tool. I can't give you a percentage. I'd really have to look and dig that information out. Um, I would say sometimes it's great and sometimes not so great. Um, I can think of situations we use read and write for Mm -hmm. a lot of our supports for reading and writing Mm -hmm. and um i might track the tool when i can and go back and find that well the student is not using it due to various factors such as transition to different grade levels and Mm -hmm. communication with staff as they move through our school system different teacher comes on it you know trying to follow up with that Um, and I think that's one of my struggles as an AT specialist. I, I have a desire to follow up with students to make sure that these tools are implemented with integrity and that the staff all know and have been trained using the tool. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that difficult. Sure, sure. Um, when you talk about read and write here for a second, do you, so that's read and write for Google Chrome, the, the extension. Um, is it, uh, so I, I know in our neck of the woods, we think of the technologies in the MTSS model, the uh, multi-tiered system of support. So, or, or some people are familiar with RTI, right? RTI um, here, yes. So the idea being that um, some, some resources are available to everybody, some resources are available to a select, and some resources sure. are available to individuals. Uh, where does read and write fall for you? Is it a, is it if everybody, some people get it, or it's individual based on your suggestion? It's individual based on my assessment and working with the team on 
appropriate tool. Gotcha. I would love to have it one-to-one to every student in the district, um, but assistive technology is really viewed as a special education service. Mm-hmm. Given that it is only available for special education kids, I would have to get significant curriculum support to be able to fund that district-wide. Gotcha. Um, okay. We, we are making a few inroads with that. I do provide 30 copies across the district for our EL programs. Mm-hmm. And they are starting to get a taste of it and starting to use it. And that yet those 30 copies come from EL funding. We are, we are still in silos here. Gotcha. A lot of times with the way our departments operate, at least funding-wise. Well, with regard to read write, I can tell you what happened in our neck of the woods. We also use it, but it has it, it started just where you said. You know, it started as individual one-offs uh, for individual right. students, and then it moved to be a tier three. Good morning, James Madison. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Not at all. We are in a school. Here comes the American flag. We'll give him a few seconds to complete all this. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We have just a couple announcements this morning. First, we'd like to wish Carter in Mrs. Lederman's room a happy birthday. Um, additionally, happy birthday, Carter. it has snowed out. I just want to remind everybody that to play in the snow, you do need to wear boots, snow plants, the girls hats, mittens, um, <laughs> boots, all your proper winter attire uh, for the snow. Um, and we hope everybody has a great Wednesday. <laughs> oh, you know, we great. live in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know. I think we get some snow here. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. Spring has sprung where I am down in Virginia. Well, so uh, It's coming, but I scheduled a visit with our Toby Dynavox rep this afternoon, and every time I schedule a visit with her, it snows. It snows. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all our fault. Um, so here's what I was saying. I was saying that a number of years ago, we did move it to be a Tier 3 support. Mm-hmm. Chris? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I've lost audio. Here we go. Now yes. we're back. Sometimes my thing cuts out, but um, yeah. So we, we did um, we we did move it to a tier three support, but it's still funded by. Sorry, we did move it to a tier one support, meaning it's available to everybody, but it's still funded by special education. Um, okay. And every year we have these discussions, like, well. Who's gonna Who's gonna pay for it? Because it's really, That's it's a right. productivity tool for everybody. How many kids with dyslexia, or how many kids are uh, like? If you listen to the decoding dyslexia population and that mm-hmm. organization, they say one in five, which is twenty percent yeah. of the population has dyslexia, and the 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 national average for just all disabilities is between eleven and thirteen percent. So there's this whole gap sure. of kids that uh, a large gap of kids that might have some sort of reading difficulties, maybe specifically mm-hmm. dyslexia. Even if those numbers are high, it's still there's there's likely there's kids that are missing. Like you you said, the ELL population is is a is a great way that to to say look look this this is not just special ed. This is for people who have, uh, right. who, are, who are learning. So what if there's, so anyway, we have those discussions all the time. And I, mm-hmm. I that's what I know. I know where I'm going to be preaching to the choir here, but that's really universal design, right? This is a tool Correct. that's available to everybody so that teachers can then use it for more flexibility. That's right. So, um, and, and looking at our numbers, I, I know just generally we are above 
11 to 13 percent with our special ed population. Mm -hmm. But then when you start figuring what about all those gray area kids who have academic struggles or or maybe they just love the screen mask portion of it. I've had that happen too, where it draws their attention to where they need to be on the page or Mm -hmm. web pages, the simplify feature. Yes. Great stuff. 100%. And I think you might even make the argument that, let me ask, do you have a one-to-one, sorry, do you have a bring your own technology initiative in your? Um, Really, what we do, we provide technology one-to-one first grade on up. Kindergarten first grade, um, our iPads, kindergarten's one to two. First grade is one-to-one and second grade, yeah, we dive in, pretty sure we dive into Chromebooks at that level. Then Chromebooks all the way up. so we provide that um, structure. So yeah, I mean, all kids, I mean, most kids would have the ability to use read and write on a Chromebook very easily. Right. It's just um, finding the funding, right? Well, that's, that's, that's just it. And, and really, when I came here about uh, almost five years ago, we had 48 copies of read and write in use. Now we're well above 200. So it's, it's a growth. It takes time. And sure. um we are slowly building it. Well, I'll tell you what helped us. And again, there's, there's no magic answer here. I think people sure. have to pull funding from different areas. We did it back in the era fund days. Do you remember those when uh, President Obama had the American uh, Rehabilitation and Restoration Act? And all schools and special education programs got a certain dollar amount uh, mm-hmm. that we could spend. And so we sure. spent it on that, on read and write, and we spent it on, hey, we're going to make it available to everybody. And the reason we did that, uh, not because we were some great prophets of this is how universal design should work, but we've looked at just what you said. Well, we did a number, how many consultations slash evaluations were we doing? And what is our heavy hitter? What is the suggestion sure. we are giving the most frequently? And most frequently coming out of the wash was, well, we needed some sort of text-to-speech. And number two was we needed some sort of word prediction because text-to-speech mm-hmm. you can find free, but word prediction usually right. you have to pay for. And so um, that's why we said, well, let's, let's get this because that will eliminate people having to contact us. I mean, mm-hmm. not immediately, but over time. Uh, Cause then we'll just say, Hey, did you know this was already available? Hey, did you know this was already available? Right. And then right. maybe after they heard it a couple of times, they just know to try it for their next kids. And that is certainly where we live now. Uh, mm-hmm. Many, many years later is that our, our IT department, our instructional coaches, they really own that software. They're the ones who do that when I say own it, meaning they're the ones doing the training around it. Occasionally they'll contact us and we'll do something to get together. But that mm-hmm. used to be all assistive technology and occasionally they would right. know about it. Now it's mostly them and occasionally we do something about it, which I, you know, I think it's a good place. You know? Well, that's a great place to be because then it's available for all learners. I would agree with that. I think we are right now where you were at <laughs> several years ago, um, just starting out. Um, and, and even where, where does, I think that's part of the assistive technology role too. Where does the specialist fit? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, are you, am I in instructional technology? You know, that's where my desk is back at central, right. but I'm fully funded by special ed. And so having your feet in both worlds, you know, is really interesting. Yeah. How do you deal with each coordinator, each department and most of the issues? You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I, 
that whole term assistive technology has really benefited me in my career. My, my job title is assistive technology specialist, just like mm-hmm. you. I had the, the old podcast. I used to do an old, a podcast back in right. the, you know, the AT tips cast. Right. My, my, the, I've written a book that has assistive technology, two books with assistive technology in the title, but that all that said, David, I really question that term um, because like, so for instance, like text to speech or is a perfect example. My daughter, as far as I know, does not have a disability, but she uses text to speech all the time. My son uses text to speech all the time. They use the voice typing tool uh, all the time in, in Google, right? I'm sure you show that right. off. Um, they don't have a disability. So it, to them, it's just technology. But when a student has a disability, then it's called assistive technology. And that just feels a little weird to me because they're just both using technology. Do you know what I mean? Well, you're getting back to the definition of assistive technology. It's any tool or piece of equipment or product system used to, yeah. you know. And so it's just basically how are we using it? Exactly. Know? It's that for some word. Kids, it's AT. For some kids, it's just a tool. Yeah, yeah. And, and really what I see happening is, I mean, a lot of those tools are built into the Chrome operating system now. I can do voice recognition. I can have text-to-speech. I can use those tools, and I don't need anything specialized anymore. It's all right there. Sure, because they're just, like, I even like the term usability. Like, they're just usability tools, you know? And if I'm a student that doesn't have a disability, like my own kids, and they find it useful, great. I mean, how many times, and this is what I was getting at with the, the, um, the bring your own technology, have I shown or do I use myself, like, on an iPhone, you can do the two-finger swipe, and it'll mm-hmm. read the text out loud. I do that in the car all the time. Like, before I leave, all right, I know I have this long thing I want to listen to, and we turn it on, and now I'm listening to text in the car as I'm driving. Do you know what I mean? And that's, again, it's under the accessibility features, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's, I'm, as far as I know, I don't have a disability. I'm just using it because it's, it helps with usability. Anyway, we're, we, I'm sure we could talk about this all day long. What were your specific questions about the, the service delivery model? Okay. You know, I, I think we've got a good first step as far as assistive technology procedures mm-hmm. with the consultation versus the evaluation model. Mm-hmm. I, but I see we're in the consultation world right now with time constraints and not that that should determine what we do, but my ability to get an IP team to sit down and have a set discussion, that's a difficult thing mm. in this day and age. And while I value the set, it's a valuable process for thinking about kids, I want to be able to provide assistive technology services effectively. I want to be able to follow up with kids um, more efficiently than I do now. And I think because we've had the increase in requests here in Sheboygan, how do I manage that? How mm-hmm. do I do that? And and I don't want to be the AT specialist who comes in and takes care of this kid and provides what needs to be provided. And then I step out and, and then there's that void. That's mm-hmm. not the model I want to deal with. Um, I think that, how, how do I think about that? as well as how do I provide staff training. Mm. Um, I'm really moving to, um, in the future, more of a digital model Mm. versus face-to-face training. That's because training times are pretty much non-existent unless I meet a person one-on-one, which is valuable. But we're starting on the cusp of a core language rollout right now in one of our schools. And I met with the EAs in January one-on-one. Well, that's 12 EAs in this school. I'm meeting one-on-one for a 20 to 30-minute 
discussion, that was very valuable. But I, I can't. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> can't do that for everybody. I yeah, can't do that. I can't just do one going. person. Exactly. And so I've got two great speech language pathologists in the school who are really helping. Um, but how can I provide that type of support systematically across the district? Okay. And that's important. Well, so so those two issues are big ones for me. All right, let's brainstorm them a little bit. T tell me more about your Google form. How long does it take to fill out and what sort of questions are on there? Um, student name, student ID number are the questions. I'd say you can get that form done in less than probably five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so I ask for student name, student ID number, teacher name, school, um, the area of assistive technology, that you're looking at, where are your concerns? Is it communication? Is it the fine motor task of writing? Is it idea generation and writing, et cetera, daily living skills? Mm -hmm. Then I asked for an IEP goal that this relates to because I'm still assistive technology, which is a special ed service. So anything I provide has to relate to that IEP goal. Mm -hmm. And then what have you trialed? What have you tried on your own? What have you brainstormed with? Mm -hmm. That's basically the amount, what I ask for, so I would say you can, if you have the IP goal, you can have that filled out in five minutes. Yeah, I was going to say th those those sorts of intake forms have to be you have to walk this fine line. I think of like uh, people won't fill it out and seek help if it's too long and cumbersome, right? And you want Correct. them to do that. Um, I wonder if there's an opportunity there with that Google form to introduce the set framework a little bit. If you were to look at, do you think that that could get people thinking in those four domains? You know, the 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 you know, the student, the environment, the task, and then the tools if, or do you feel like that might become too cumbersome to try and fill out? The idea being that when um, they, when, once it gets to you, maybe just them having filled out the form. Uh, so for instance, so for instance, if I'm filling out a Google form and it's like, um, who is your favorite Avenger? Uh, Captain America, mm -hmm. Black Panther, Iron Man, or the Hulk? what it's teaching me that those four people are Avengers. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if that's an opportunity. Oh yeah. I didn't even think that I didn't know no. that Captain America was an Avenger. And that would make sense. You know, just asking for the student, you know, what environment are they struggling in? What are the tasks they need to accomplish? Then I could get into, okay. The tools thing is a little more difficult to flesh out with mm -hmm. that, or maybe tools you have tried would be mm -hmm. something we could Which do. you already have that question, right? But it yeah. just leads them into it a different way, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, and the tasks are already there too. Those areas of AEC or fine motor or daily living skills, those are the tasks mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I have them looking at. Are you, you had mentioned earlier that people are still thinking of you as the AAC person. So do you find that there's a, when you look at the data from those Google forms of those 80, you said like roughly 80 consults this year so far, mm -hmm. um, is it like heavy 60, 60% 60 are AAC and the rest are, you know, other, or what's the breakdown? Um, I do think just off the top of my head, we are probably, I would say roughly 30, 40% AAC and the rest other mm -hmm. at this point in time. Although that's changing now because as we were implementing um, the core language initiative in at James Madison, which is a heavy school for AAC for us, okay. um, we are just providing, you know, before the consultation. 
so kids have access to the language. And so uh, I would believe that as we walk through this year in the future, those AAC consultations at the elementary level have decreased because we're providing the tool as a language intervention, not necessarily a specific AAC for a child who struggles with complex communication yeah. down the road. You've That's moved your to universal tier. access. Yeah, exactly. You've moved AAC to a tier two support, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not right. available to every single student, but it's available to um, most students in certain classrooms, right? Well, yeah, we have, you know, here we still have self, some self-contained classrooms of, of complex communicators. Mm -hmm. And given those, um, yeah, we are working to be proactive with modeling language and providing a robust AEC app for those kiddos. It's, it's really the first year we're really pushing it, but we've seen a lot of change already and a lot of buy-in. So it's, I think as we roll it out in the future, it's going to be good. Do you mind if I ask, did you pick a certain app? What does the core yes, initiative look like? This goes what? back to one of your <laughs> Yeah, I think it's Eric. Yeah, Eric Enger, yeah. There you go. You go. Um, we chose um, Snapping Core first from um, Toby Dynavox. Okay. Um, what we had run with, and I'll bring up the brand names. You can. Sure. <laughs> we did have Proloquo to go um, when I arrived in Sheboygan, and we had Go Talk Now, which there's they're all great apps. Right. It's just um, for us. Uh, with the robust vocabulary, we like that snapping core first, had a core vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It also has quick fires, it has topics, there's a keyboard with word prediction, mm -hmm. um, full-fledged communication app with, with robust vocabulary that allows people just to pick it up and do core language mm -hmm. and, or have activity-based page sets if they're in that activity. That was valuable for us. Although it did take some work, um, I had to go up and clean up the vocabulary because that app is designed for birth to adulthood. And mm -hmm. so we had to go in there and do that. Um, but the speech language pathologist here also took the initiative to create a James Madison page set. Okay. And so, but the value with that is we can take that page set and we can back it up for each individual student. They each have their own cloud-based account and we can push it out to different devices for them. So we have that base vocabulary for the building, but once it's um, given to a child, we can adapt. They can customize it. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's powerful for us. It's also powerful from a staff training aspect that once we get staff familiar with the core language and the language involved in the app, they're ready to roll with it. Yeah, and right. it's not that we don't use Proloquo to go and other tools in the district, we still do. Mm -hmm. And we still have kids come in with those tools and we'll work with those tools too. Yeah, but, that, so. that gets back to that MTSS I was talking about, that multi-tiered. So you've provided Snap Plus, for, Snap Plus Core first as your sort of, this one everybody gets kind of start out of the box, but unless mm -hmm. we know for some certain reason that this kid can't access that or it's not a good fit, then that becomes the tier three, right? Oh okay, yeah, we're still gonna use right. AMP or we're still right. gonna use exactly. Prolo. Yeah, and we do, I mean, um, I really think that that is a good model to, uh, to I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of that model, like a specific language mm -hmm. system first model. All right, so, but do well, you, oh, can, can I elaborate on that just a little more? Yeah, please. It was interesting because I got a kiddo at um, our middle school 
And I went in and he's got Proloco to go and I brought Snap and Core first and we were going back and forth a little with that. And he actually took my iPad and started communicating in Snap and Core. And, and so that was powerful to me. So I, I think to get stuck on a specific AEC, this is, you know, if it's robust, if it has vocabulary, if it's got some personal stuff in there, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, it really doesn't matter what we run with that the fact that we're running with something exactly is the key we're implementing something exactly I, I i couldn't agree more i really you know that's how i feel too is like especially when you're saying now the staff knows it and they're familiar with where the the words are and so they can model mm-hmm. better on it that is a huge factor when right. and it becomes a lot more difficult when you have to try and model on three four different systems and occasionally you have to there's no other way around it in right. some situations right. but yeah, and, and really what we've seen at James Madison with more modeling, with more visibility, we're seeing kids um, pick it up expressively more and more in a short time space. Now, you know, for some kiddos, that'll take longer and that's okay. Um, but we're seeing um, a difference, whereas in the past, I think it was always a struggle. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, do you anticipate, or has it come out already, more consults from this or less consults? Meaning, all right, we've had it in the environment and we think this kid needs a dedicated or something specifically to them. Like, or is it, no, we've got it. So we don't need to contact David. At James Madison, I think my consults will go down. Okay. Because the speech therapists are on board, the um, self-contained classroom teachers are on board. And so they'll come to me and it'll be a consult. But Dave, can we push Snap and Core out to this kiddo's iPad? Mm. And so I have my tech go and push it out, and it's there. And done. they can download the vocabulary. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as we tried to bring it to an early childhood, middle school, and high school level and work to do that, those consultations will increase a bit. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a dynamic there. Um, but as those buildings and areas get established with that app and with modeling, I think it'll decrease over time. Yeah, yeah. So we just provide it. It'll it'll spike and there's you more, but then as they get used right. to it, it'll go down. Okay, gotcha. Correct. Do you feel like that'll you said right now for those eighty uh, consults that you have, thirty to forty percent are AAC. Could that same model work in other domains? Again, we were talking about read and write earlier, right? If and I know that's a whole other big thing, but if there mm-hmm. could be provided as a here, here's what you try first. Did you know this exists? Right. I think a lot of that depends on the ability to train staff and get staff up to speed and with staff turnover, keep staff up to speed on the tools we offer, the processes we use, and how we implement something with integrity. Um, I think within these self-contained classrooms, it's, it's probably easier to roll out with something like modeling AAC because we're we're going to be doing that all the time in these classrooms. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's a read and write tool that's just given to certain students in a cross categorical program, it's one student, two students in this classroom, one student here, it's still piecemealing it together across the district. It's hard, mm-hmm. it's harder to be systematic until we say, Hey, we're going to provide this for all kids in cross cat categorical mm-hmm. classrooms. So I think there's a difference here. I think it's a bit hit and miss and kind of a shotgun approach with with those other tools unless we determine, hey, we're going to do this as a tool for 
all kids mm -hmm. who struggle with writing. So I don't know. It, let me ask this then. So it, it sounds like that's the answer, right? I mean, yes, it does. <laughs> I'm working myself out of a job, really. That's well, what I want to do. I mean, well, you know, the truth is, yeah, we, we, uh, uh, people say that a lot. I've heard that, that too. And I just, there, there'll always be other needs, right? I mean, there will, there will, there will. Yes. always. Um, but, uh, so what do you think your, your, your next steps would be to make that happen? Do you know what I mean? The, ne the next steps for me to make that happen, at least here, um, is to have that conversation with our, um, my special ed director mm -hmm. and just to see where that goes and see if that is even conceivable. Um, hate to put it all back on budget, but budgetarily mm -hmm. for me to provide a tool like read and write across the district would be a significant step up. Yeah. Well, um, I wonder if some strategies, so, so here's some things that might help. I don't know, David, this would be if, if your special ed director sees your time and the time that these people are, the, your, your volunteers on the side, you know, mm -hmm. how much time they're spending doing this. And you could equate that to a dollar amount. So here's what I make an hour. And so this was, right. here's, here's what the real cost is to the district. Because when, when, I'm, when I'm doing a training for read and write, what I'm not doing is professional development on math right. strategies or whatever the other district philosophies or uh, mm -hmm. spearheads, are, you know, the, the goals might be. So you now you, the, the true cost of read and write and a one, you know, as a tier three support equals X, where if we. I'm sorry, Chris, I got yeah. somebody knocking at the door. No problem. Uh, let me get that real quick. No problem. That's okay, one second. I can't get our device to turn on at all. Okay. I'll be over No worries, I apologize. That's fine. <laughs> That's so real, David. It is. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that, but that's part of it too. I really try to be out in the buildings. I yeah. try to spend as little as time as central as I possibly can because I think it's good to be visible. But part of that is too. You, I'm sure you've had it. When I walk down a hallway, people see me as a tech, mm -hmm. not necessarily as an AT specialist too. And so that's always interesting. But no, here we have a our our eye gaze system for one of our students isn't won't start up. Well, so, I won't keep you much longer then because well, that's okay. I'm fine. I've got, I've got. After this, I'm in her classroom anyway. So. Okay. Okay. Well, I just don't want the kid to go out for you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so what I was saying there is showing them the cost because the the perceived cost is well. Oh my goodness! Here's the dollar amount for read and write mm -hmm. as a as a tier three support that's just available to everybody. But that actually might be smaller than the, the amount that you are actually spending now. Right. When you consider right. the amount of hours that you're spending on it, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and I think having those conversations, and that's where I see our core language approach going. Is I've had those conversations with. Um, with our special education director and and I think we are moving down that road where where he is open to funding you know this app to give to more kids mm -hmm. and, and we, we're getting creative on our end too there's nothing wrong if I have a kid who's just who's learning language mm -hmm. but he doesn't necessarily need the voice output yeah so we can do the free app yeah. And we can just roll with that. It still has the same vocabulary in it. We're still modeling. Mm -hmm. We're still teaching language. We just don't have the voice output. But along with the high-tech stuff, we are rolling out light-tech stuff in the same classroom. We are putting core boards around the school, and we're getting some printed right now. 
to put in classrooms so so anybody can start using these tools. So the director could see, see this yes. is working with this area, so now we wanna make this work in this area. Correct. <laughs> it's so funny because in my neck of the woods, it's flipped. We saw it work with uh, the, the reading and writing, you know, with read mm -hmm. and write, it's universal. And now we're bringing along AAC in the same okay. sort of vein. Um, so, and, and I think the difference here is just the vision of this district for assistive technology. It's been interesting because I, I knew Sheboygan when I worked with Wadi a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I went to other districts and different things. And now that I'm back and look at our history, it just, it's always been focused more on those students with complex communication needs mm -hmm. and not so much on all the reading and writing. And so I think we have a little, it's going to take a bit of time. Bit, a bit of time. Yeah. Well, you know, what might happen is there's some sort of parent advocate will be, might can also happen. be the driving force, you know, and again, having a director that understands, well, let's prevent that from happening. Like, let's not be the school district that, that had to make this change because someone came in and said we were doing something wrong. Let's prevent that from ever happening. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Well, um, but, but I do like your idea too of, you know, look at the core initiative and the rollout of modeling and AAC, Okay, let's let's take that at least start in our special education classrooms, our cross cat classrooms, and say, hey, why not provide you know let's instead of targeting the whole student population, maybe start let's put it in these classrooms at this building. Yeah, and let's maybe see what kind of effect too. it has. Yeah, and as a proof of pot concept. Exactly, and really, read and write is. I mean, it's it's fairly easy instruction. Mm -hmm. You can get staff members up to speed pretty quickly on that. That has been our experience as well, is that we've, um, you know, and then now where we are is we have whole general ed classrooms that just use it. Like, okay, beginning right. of the year, I'm going to show everybody how to use this. And now your expectation is to use read and write before you, uh, you know, it's, it's part of your editing checklist, you know, when you're, you check for spelling, check for punctuation, did you listen to it, you know, um, before you come to me and turn it in as the teacher, you know, um, or before you ask me a question, you can use it. Um, Another thing with that idea, the I mentioned early on in our conversation, the transition struggles from one grade level to the next, from one staff member to the next, those are eliminated. Yeah, totally. Because everybody knows it, everybody uses it, it's just an expectation that this kid's going to have it. 100%. 100%. That's exactly what we're hoping with uh, the AAC stuff. And the, I know that's happened with read and write. It's just a thing that our district does. And everyone sort of knows it. And which is, again, is not to say that we don't have um, certain kids that it's not the right tool for and that we use, a, again, I call it a tier three support. All right, this kid, we need snap and read. You know, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. right, it, it's, it's bothering them or it's not working for them, uh, whatever the situation might be. But we started with something. We didn't have to wait and figure it out through some sort of evaluation or consultation. Uh, we, we had figured that out from all the previous consultations that, that this is a, a tool that might work for everybody. Right. Um, well, let me ask you, uh, when you, were, you, you said the other question you had was about um, PD and training initiatives. Um, do you have instructional coaches there the, on the ed tech side? We do. We okay. do. We have three instructional coaches assigned to various buildings across the district. And what is their involvement with assistive technology or technology for students with disabilities? Um, they're aware of it. I think mm -hmm. given that we share an office, we do have some of these conversations. I think um, I need to have a little work to do as far as getting them on board with the processes and how 
something works within special education versus something working in um, instructional technology. Mm-hmm. Um, because to a point, we are tied to the IEP a little bit and, you know, doing all that stuff. And because assistive technology is a special education service, you know, we've had instances where a teacher, a regular teacher, who has special education kids integrated in their classroom will go to the instructional technology coach and say, Hey, this kiddo is having difficulty with this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we try to route it. Okay. Through the special ed teacher to put in an AT consultation request and go that route um, because that consultation request is posted on the assistive technology webpage on the special education web pages. Uh-huh. So it's, Again, how do you blur the lines when departments are used to operating separately? In silos. Well, okay, let me ask. Do they have some sort of intake form, you know, when someone wants to ask them about, you know? uh... They do have an intake form on their site, but they also, if a staff member contacts them, they run with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, whatever means. For we we have never had, or I shouldn't say that. Uh, for the, in our district, uh, I guess the first year or two we did have some sort of intake form, and then we did away with it. So because we mm-hmm. said we just want people to email us, and we will be like the friendly face. Um, right. And we haven't ever gone back. But that's we are in a different situation where we actually have full time employees that do you know, uh, assistive technology coaching, if you will, uh, facilitators. Um, so I understand the need for an intake form when you are in a different situation, but I wonder here, here's my wonder about is if there was a way to meld so that it's just a, um, technology request form. Um, and then it gets, it gets one person gets those requests and then it goes to, well, this one's for David or this one's for, so that it's a shared, what do you think would happen if that happened? I, th- I think that'd be very positive. Um, it certainly would make it easier for staff across the board to access services. Um, not that we won't answer an email or do that sure, kind sure. of thing. We, you know, we we go that road too. I think the value in it is there's so many different tools out there that can help kids learn. You know, regular ed students students in special education, you know, um, I see tools that they're providing like Seesaw mm-hmm. that, okay, I can annotate documents and I can communicate and I can do a lot of different things in Seesaw. And that may be a great tool for some of my kiddos, you know, with special needs, but it's also a great tool for the regular ed students and it's already there. Yeah. And so it might be using it in a different way with a different format, um, but it's a great tool for all kids. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key. So, I mean, I can imagine a scenario where a, let's say a fifth grade teacher fills out this form. It goes to not you, a fifth grade teacher is talking about a student that has uh, executive functioning, having trouble um, annotating documents and writing notes down, let's just say. And that goes to, that form. And then maybe initially it goes with you uh, and you'd come out and you'd go, Hey, did you know Seesaw existed? And you can annotate over a Seesaw. And oh, here's a, uh, do you know about, I don't know, Google keep as a way to keep mm-hmm. notes, you know, let's just say, cause we're, we're a Google district and you should know about this tool. Right. But then I could also see it going, uh, 
well, okay, it went to uh, educational coach number one, you know, one of those three other people. And they also could say the same exact thing. Well, yeah, okay, this kid, just because they have a disability doesn't mean it has to go to David. You know, it, yeah, I right. can help you. I can show you how, it, you know, it, the seesaw could work. And I know about these tools. And then it just becomes... Those silos break down, and it's a right. your role is becoming a zipper between special ed and special special ed and general ed. So it's just ed, mm-hmm. you know. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm starting to consider that. I know after listening to your podcast and seeing some of the robotics clubs that we have around our schools too, um, our um, all kids are participating in those. Yeah, you know, um, clubs and those activities. Um, and so why not? We, in fact, just had um, one of the tech coaches bought breakout boxes in our um, self-contained classrooms. And we des- um, one of the speech therapists here, James Masson, designed a communication board around it. And I was able to come to a few, so we had a blast. Yeah, and how you much know, fun. Modeling right? language, we were doing the breakout boxes. So how can we use robotics, like your last podcast, how can we use those tools with all kids and we just provide the supports that are necessary for our, for our kiddos who need those supports. I have another idea for training. I have two other couple of ideas for you. Um, So one is the idea that you have this whole army of, of, of people that can help you, which are the other students, like you mentioned there, you know, Mm -hmm. especially with your core initiative is showing the peers, but really with read and write too, if you were to put it in a classroom and teach it to everybody or whatever the tools might be, um, so often the consults that we have done are with the teachers, but if there were other students that are involved, Hey, I want to show you all this tool that we have. I want to show you the strategy we're going to use. We're all going to push the buttons on this Mm -hmm. device. Um, uh, that helps with that transition piece when you do go from one school to another because the kids will graduate on where the teachers won't necessarily, you know? Mm-hmm. And so having right. them all, the, their peers know how to help them. Um, I know my own daughter, again, using her as an example, um, we, we, she knows that you're, because she's my daughter, that you're supposed to be modeling on a communication device, right? And right. one day the teacher was gone, the general ed teacher was gone. She's in a room with her with her friend and uh, the substitute came in and moved the communication device. And my daughter's like, no, wait, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You, she needs this, you know? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if the, other, if the peers aren't there and knowing the strategies, then the, you're constantly chasing your tail trying to, um, to teach new tre- teachers, you know? Right. And that also eliminates the stigma, if you will, of using something different. Mm-hmm. And we even encounter this with the provision of those reading and writing tools that everybody has a Chromebook mm-hmm. and, and it really is fluid, but the student still is concerned that they're using a different tool. Yeah. And so yeah. if everybody has it. And it reading and write, that's exactly what has happened with us. I know there are students that that we've shown the student uh, with the disability, and then that student, uh, at the end, we say, can you do us a favor? Do you like this? Yeah. Can you tell three of your friends? And then they start, they're the ones, oh, well, what are you doing over there? How, how mm-hmm. come your thing's reading? Oh, it's this purple puzzle piece up here. And there. You, you have it too. Do you right. see it's right there? Uh, and now you didn't have to do the training. Kids did it for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's a great thing. And you're right. Once you get the teacher on board, it's every year then. You know, yeah. you don't you go in once, that might be it. Or maybe a student's going to do the training on it if they're really savvy with it. Yeah. So often the, the student is now training the next teacher. What are you right. using there? Oh, it's this purple puzzle piece Mr. So-and-so showed me last year, you know, and, the, yep. and you're just using it. And the last idea I have, well, maybe still I have two more ideas. One would be 
Um, I think of, this is something I harp on a lot, is that we think of PD in the world of education as what we're doing now, an, an hour of, of face-to-face consultation or a, a come to a session and you sit in your, your butt in a chair and you, you participate in some sort of activity or you listen to somebody speak. But I really think in the more modern world of, of education, we should think of them as, as microtransactions, you know, like you don't have to spend $30 to, to make, uh, if you're an app developer, you don't have to charge $30. You, you, instead you make your game free and you charge 99 cents for each of the Pokemon you, you, you know what I mean? It's these little microtransactions. No, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> and I see that value in professional development. One shot for one hour isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, but we need that follow-up. It's, when I was training the EAs, the initial plan was every month I'm going to come in and make contact with that EA and do mm-hmm. a little training, 20 minutes, but it's every month to follow up and address concerns. Typically, the one and done stuff. It doesn't uh, work. It doesn't carry over. Yeah. And so I think you can, um, I call it my rule of 22. Like I'm trying to, before I get frustrated with somebody uh, for not adopting the thing that I said, I think you Mm -hmm. should adopt is that it's in my responsibility to get it in front of your eyes or ears. You experience it 22 times. And so that might mean, um, those 22 times could be super short. It's a, it's an email. It's when I'm out, I, uh, and I'm, I'm away from school. They might be emailing me. And so they'll get a little message back from me. Like, Hey, did you for, uh, here's my away message. Did you check? Did you know that we have read and write? Did you know that we have snap plus core first? You know, and this might answer your question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of it as these little microtransactions, not necessarily an hour block of time. And however many I can give, you know, if that means tweets, if that means if you're, uh, our school district has adopted um, Workplace, which is the Facebook version. It's right. Facebook for work. Um, but it's just, just that too recently. You did, there's, there you go. Imagine some group and you're just putting out a little post because that is people, what people are used to today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I still like the idea too, what you let off with is some sort of module with videos and again, mul- making it multimodal for UDL. Um, right. But I like the idea that they're short, you know, short little snippets will get there a lot faster. Um, and that's sort of why, again, back to why I wrote you and said, hey, could record this is because now this might help somebody else down the line and mm-hmm. it'll be, we can duplicate ourselves, you know, because right. if it's trying to have right. one conversation like this over and over again, uh, we don't get there as fast, you know? No, no. And, and yeah, to get there quickly, but I like the workplace idea. I could see just, okay, here is voice typing. This exactly. Is what you do in read and write. Here's the symbol. Click on it, and here's how you use it. Yeah. Did you know that this exists? Even just as an awareness level, you know. Um, and then the last thing, just to tell you what we've been experimenting with this year, especially with our AAC initiative. Uh, we also had an AAC initiative this year, and we've really been focusing on a fourth aspect to the training. So. One is getting the mindset around AAC, right? And that kids will learn language. Uh, Two is that we provided tools. Like you said, you're doing Snap Plus Core first. Mm -hmm. Three is that doing some sort of training, okay? 
training I think of as out of the classroom, come, we're going to work on theory and some practice in a structured setting. But then this fourth piece that we've added is coaching, which I know in your neck of the woods might be difficult um, when I say that because the how it's just you, right? Mm-hmm. But getting your speech therapist on board, um, what we've done is six sessions of coaching around AAC. Specifically, we're using... Um, uh, Center and Bod's s'mores, the Jill Center and Matt Bod's s'mores. You're familiar. Um, so we do training around s'mores, and then we do six sessions of coaching around s'mores, where the first session is um, uh, just doing a little video of you working with a kid. Second is watching that video where we're showing, okay, here's an opportunity where you know where you modeled. Look at how you did that, or you did an expansion. Session three and session four are true coaching where we're like behind you going, what do you think would happen if um, you waited a little bit longer? What do you think would happen if you, um, if you uh, I don't know, uh, tried modeling on the device rather than using your voice? You know, those sorts of things. Uh, session five is a repeat of session one where it's again doing another video. And session six is again watching that video. But we're collecting data in those videos, counting up the s'mores, and then showing people the, their, their data. Like, look, so you, you're improving in how much you're modeling. And I just wonder about that coaching aspect, because I, I, I bet that's what the, the ed tech side is trying to do more. And it, it, I know we're trying to embed it here with AAC. So I imagine my, my question to you would be, I wonder if your speech therapist could try that in one classroom. Let's pick one person. I'm going to try and do six coaching sessions, which aren't really consults where I'm telling you what to do. Instead, I'm just sort of guiding you along with, with probing questions. Um, if that, if you, if you, if that would be like a little experiment for your neck of the woods to see, okay, what is our return on that investment of six coaching sessions? Again, to go to the director and say, uh, I know we're, we're, lo- we're low on speech therapists, but what if we freed up uh, like a half a day for a speech therapist or, you know, maybe Fridays could be their coaching day, you know, for one speech therapist. I don't know, whatever the, the new model looks like, you'd have some sort of data to show that it works. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. I, I had considered the coaching. I've been talking with our instructional tech coordinator, at least getting resources, learning about it myself. And I think coaching is the way to go um, with that. I think you're right. How do you how do you free up that time for your SLP um, to have that time? Now we we made a change here at James Madison this year. Um, the speech language pathologist wanted this is one of the SLPs um, went totally to our self-contained programs with complex communication kids, and the other one is more in the regular ed world with cross cat classrooms and that kind of thing. And so they did that. Both caseloads are still fifty plus roughly. So, you know, there's still this struggle. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. But because we have one of the SLPs who she is in the ID classrooms all the time, that has that is also helped us integrate this whole AAC approach because she's in there modeling all the time. Right. And they're seeing how to do it. And then, well, well she's doing it. it, I can do it. And then yeah. she can coach them through it and say, watch how I do this. Right. Yeah. So that this might be something for next year. I think we lost the audio again. Yeah, it cuts out every once in a while, Mike. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so that is a possibility. I think as now I'm starting to look to next year and what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? That type of thing. It's it's some stuff to keep in mind. Um, you've given me a lot of ideas to oh. go, but I do like one of them that I really like is 
how can I integrate some of the reading and writing tools more effectively in CrossCAD classrooms? And maybe just saying, hey, we're going to do universal access in that classroom, and that's a place for me to start. Fantastic. Um, rather than just trying to do assistive technology in, in more of a true sense that we're just doing AT. No, we're doing universal tools. Yeah. And we can build more to a point where maybe a whole school might have it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, awesome. and that makes perfect sense. It just, it's a different way for me to think about the whole reading and writing thing. Um, with that, um, it seems like I always thought AAC with all the core language approaches. But yeah, you can do it with it. It's just an approach. Yeah, I think it really helps to think of them. And it helps speak the language, at least in my neck of the woods. We are all talking MTSS. We're talking that language for other yeah, behavior difficulties, um, mm -hmm. right. other veins. So speaking of technology in that same way, gets away from what's assistive tech versus ed tech. It's just what level of support are you providing, you know, and, and to whom, you know. Um, I think it helps. So. Right, right. David? I know you got an eye gaze system to fix. Yes, I do. <laughs> or wait, let me say, you've got an eye gaze system to teach a teacher how to fix. <laughs> correct, correct. You, you got to coach them through how to fix it for themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of it, you know. And, then, and maybe I don't have to come back next time. The same thing happens. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that's that's a lot of it. You know. Again, I don't want to be that assistive tech specialist in that classroom. You know, yeah. I, I want teams, I want professionals in classrooms to run with this stuff. Yeah. You know, we can provide a little initiative, but you can't, you can't be there enough to make it happen. No, they got to own it. And I do think, back to your thing, when they have a little bit of choice and uh, thought process through that set framework, those I've found, in fact, that's what we're doing in our neck of the woods. We are doing what we call resource consideration guides, but it's set meetings, essentially, because people own it more when that, on the way out. You know, yeah, we came up with this thing together, so now we're going to do this thing, you know, and yes, it takes more time on the front end, but the result is a lot better. And maybe it takes less time because next time, They'll know what to do. They won't even have to have a meeting for the next kid, you know? Right, right. It's just applied. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right, Great. David, don't be a stranger. Feel free to, to, to reach out. I'd love to know how things go. Uh, you know, keep, keep me informed how, how things progress. Sounds good. And Chris, thanks for the time. It was a great conversation. We're already at an hour and five minutes. <laughs> I know, I know, because I'm just flying. I could talk about this stuff all day. I know you could too. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Good All stuff. right, David. It was nice meeting you. And thanks again for letting me record this. I appreciate it. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk to you later. Contact you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.